Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Guys, I am here with Josh Stifter. We're going to talk about trauma because it's, you know, we're coming up to Halloween here in a few days and trauma is one of the strangest, weirdest horror genres. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much ever. But I want you to toot your own, your own horn just a little bit because I know you've got a lot going on right now. How are we doing with Band-Aid Man? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got a lot going on. Um, I am working on, well, we had Greywood's Plot, my second feature released. And speaking of trauma, we had The Good Exorcist release on trauma. So I've still been doing that and getting that movie out there. And then I, uh, I've, I'm working on a, on a third movie that I shot during the pandemic um, called Scumbag. And I shot it all by myself. I was the only person who worked on it. But I'm finally to the point where... I'm bringing Daniel Degnan, who was my producer, uh, who was on the last episode. I'm bringing him back into it. And now he's finally seeing scenes and I'm like sending him stuff so he can watch it and critique it and put his stamp of producer on it. But we'll basically be the only it'll be Daniel, me and our my buddy, Nathan Strauss, who's another producer who I've, we've worked with on everything as well. The three of us are going to be the only three who touch it. Um, but that was that was tough because I'm doing the score myself. I'm doing the sound design myself. I'm doing everything. So to get it to the point, to get any scene even to the point where I can send it to them and they're not like, what is this? Mm -hmm. I, you know, you have to have some parts of it. So uh, I'm finally at the point where every scene is kind of done or at least somewhat put together in a way that I feel like visually I can show it. The sound design is to a place where I can show some of the scenes. And I've been and I've got some of the score done. So, yeah, that's on its way. I'm I'm hoping to like really kick it in high gear and get it done by the end of this year, or get it to a place where we can start sending out to festivals for next year. Um, but that's a big one. And then Band Aid Face is the other one that I've been working on. Um, the script is finished. Daniel is kind of tweaking it and reading it, and we're trying to figure out like what is the budget, what kind of movie is this, um, which is probably the second most difficult part of the process, if I'm being honest, because I think the hardest part is letting it go and being like, this is done enough. All right. Time to let it go. Um, th that, and then that part deciding like, when do we start? What is the actual, you can, you could sit and talk about starting for, for forever. And until you actually start it, it just, it's not a thing. So um, we're there with band-aid face. And then, I'm I've been working on the script for the good exorcist too uh, a lot the past like two weeks I've been trying to or a uh, month I've been trying to write a page a day for like six months and it just doesn't happen that way so I've decided to kind of like hone in and take like five hours every other day or every three days and just like write and write and I finished a big chunk and <laughs> I got I well, the way I write scripts is I do note cards so every scene should have a reason to exist and I write a note card with what the scene is and it whether it's a positive or a negative like are we starting at a positive place and going to a negative place or are we you know kind of where does the where does the scene go and I got through the first 10 note cards which is act 1 of the movie and I'm this it's as many pages as the original good exorcist script was and i'm only through the first act and i was like oh no it's this is out of control but i just when you love the characters and you've lived with them in your head for so long sometimes it's hard to like move to the next spot you just want to see them continue to live in that place so i'm trying to get to that to that spot where i can move on and get to the the meat of that story it's lots of things lots of things sorry i muted myself because the door shut outside and every dog went whoop 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have, I'm just waiting for my children to walk in the door, which has happened on quite a few of these podcasts when it just, we're at the, we're at the magic hour for the kids to want to say goodnight or have their final before bed questions or whatever. So that, yeah. there's a good chance they'll pop in. That's, that's quite all right. I was going to say, in addition to all of this that you're already doing, you are a dad to energetic, busy kids. And they're relatively young. We're not going to blast their ages. But I remember, mine are a little older, thank God. But being that little, constantly, constantly moving, constantly going, that's more power to you. Yeah, although they're, they're creative um, inspiration in huge ways. Like, I would I would never say that they're like my muse for making stuff. I don't like go, you know, my children make me want to turn myself into a dog man, but there are elements of the kids where they'll say something or do something, or I'll show them something that makes it validating. Or, I mean, Band-Aid face, the whole concept came from my wife hates Band-Aids and my son and I, when he was really little, he found, he figured this out and it was sort of the first thing we bonded over teasing my wife about. So that was a big part of it was, you know, he'd walk into the room with, with a, you know, a fresh bandaid, not an old bandaid, but a fresh bandaid, like on his face and be like, mom, I'm bandaid face. And I'm like, Oh, oh we got to make that into a horror movie. So, um, it's, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse. And honestly, I don't know if I would have started making these movies. Even when I did, I was 30 when I started making Greywood's plot and the good exorcist happened at 31. Um, and then we went back and finished Greywood's plot. And over those, you know, and then it took like two, three years before anything kind of came out or, or or was finished. But uh, it was having kids that made me go like, wow, I did like everything else in life that you that, you know, like the things that people do. I never did the stuff that I said I was going to do. Like when I was 22 saying like, when you grow up, you're going to make movies. I'm like, oh, my God, I grew up, had kids, had a mortgage, got, a, you know, I'm married, have a career. I didn't make the movies. Now I have to go do that. That busy adulting, you know? Yeah, 100%. And it's funny because now it's sort of flipped where the, the filmmaking has also become sort of the side career. And so the filmmaking feels like adulting along with it. It's like my third child. <laughs> you said a couple of things. And speaking of the good doctor, Daniel, I'm glad to hear that he's doing okay. And I'm I wanted to say you said uh, with Scumbag that you did a lot of it yourself. I mean, you did the majority of it yourself, which kind of is great because you don't have to answer to anybody but yourself. But it also sucks because you have to answer to yourself, right? Yeah, it's um, it's lonely. Like, And that's sort of the plot of the movie. It, it came up. I wrote the script because uh, Rebel Without a Crew, the series I was on, the whole concept was you were not supposed to have a crew. But I constantly felt like, your cast becomes your crew. You always have people around to help. And when you have that help, you, if you have the right people around you, anything is possible. And that goes for anything in life. Obviously when you surround yourself with the right people, it's like that makes the world of difference. Um, and with filmmaking, especially if I, you know, I was around Avery Merrifield, Daniel Degnan and Brittany Ortiz, like all the time on on the good exorcist. And being around them, they were always like, if I would just, I'd say like, man, I don't know how to do this by myself. They would instantly be like, don't, I'll take the, I'll take the microphone. Like I'll hold the boom. You go do, you direct now if it's hard. Like, and they were just such a help. And then when I got on Greywood's plot, it was Keith Radical, Daniel Degnan, Nathan Strauss and myself. And these guys, Daniel was the only one with 
any experience in filmmaking. And that was being an idiot on reality TV and pretending to be a, uh, a exorcist. Like he didn't really know what he was doing like uh, in the filmmaking side of things, Brittany and Avery had been on film sets. Daniel really hadn't been on much. Um, but by the time we wrapped Greywood's plot, it, they were the best crew I've ever been around. Like just from learning from my experience and being able to tell them like, Hey guys, this is how we do three point lighting. When we first started filming just to take up a, a concept that most people on a film set understand is like three point lighting, how to set up your lighting for a scene. And even if you don't quite understand it, you have a general idea of like, this is what the gaffer does to, to pull everything together. By the end, you know, at the start, I'd be like, hey, guys, we have to do three point lighting. We have to make sure that we have, you know, a backlight in this scene. We have to use the sun in a specific way, you know, to be to be our fill. And by the end, I didn't have to explain that stuff. I'd be like, dudes, we're doing three point. We're going to use the moon as the backlight. Like, let's set this up. And they just were on it. So um, I got really used to using them as as the crew in that way. When I got on Scumbag, I, that's initially what I thought. I'm like, I'm going to set this up like like how they shoot a sitcom. So I used my basement. I turned it into a dungeon. The whole concept from this, going back to what I was saying earlier, is I was like, I'm going to do Rebel without a crew. Like, I'm going to be the first person to make the, the, not the first. I've since found out that there are a handful of movies by people who did them literally by themselves. However, I was the one who was going to do one with visual effects. I was going to do crazy score. I was going to do everything. Um, and it was going to look like a movie. And uh, I got I, I did it and I like was able to get into the shooting and like just hone in on it. For some reason, that part of it, I was able to like set everything up and get rid of the cast and crew and make it myself. And part of it was maybe necessity because we were coming. I, I, I wrote the script. I sent it to Daniel and Daniel was like, don't do this by yourself. I want to work on this. I like the script too much. And it's going to be way too hard for you to do because <laughs> it's a very, very difficult script. It's got a lot to it. And so I, uh, I, I was like, okay, fine, let's do it. I'm going to actually, I'm not going to act in it. I want you to act in it. I want you to be scumbag. We'll do, we'll do it sort of like we've done in the past and we'll co go big with this one. And then the pandemic happened and Daniel was just told me like, Hey man, just go do it. Like we can't be together for who knows how long, just try it out. Um, and I think, partially out of boredom, partially out of um, I trying to prove to myself that I was right from the beginning. I was able to film it myself. That part wasn't actually that hard. Plus, we moved out of that house. We moved from Minnesota to Atlanta. So based on the necessity of I wasn't going to be able to film anymore, I was able to just like go gung-ho on it and finish it. Um, and then I got into editing and I was just like miserable. It was not fun at all. I wasn't able to show Daniel any scenes and make them make sense. I could see all of the flaws in having shot it myself and, and, and all that. Um, but as the, over the past year, I ended filming a little over a year ago. And over the past year, it's been like two months. I wouldn't touch it. I would just be like, I hate this thing. I'm not going to work on it. And then I talk about it. I get excited about it again and I'd start working on it. And now I'm at the point where I've, I've sort of started and stopped enough times that I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I have a movie done. Like it's done. I've got the edit I know what visual effects I need to do. And I've started on the score, which was the hardest part to start. Score is, oh my God, kudos to anyone out there who makes music for films because that is the most difficult job in the world of art. You have to essentially tell a story 
with notes and like just find the proper notes to make the emotions make sense. That is utter nonsense. And I'm I'm finally wrapping my head around how random I need to be to make it happen for myself. But when Curtis, who does my scores for my other movie, when he sends me scores and I hear it, I'm just like, how did he make the emotion better and sell this idea? I'm going with the more uh, John Carpenter, just synth it up and go big and scary and find the the minor notes that work. And uh, it, it works for the movie. But when someone does like a true score, like a not I, I love John Carpenter to death not trying to uh, downplay his scores in any way. I love them. In fact, I've got like two of them on vinyl, three of them on vinyls. Um, but it's just horror score synth. Like the sound is instantly accessible and you know what it is. But when someone can pull off, like in Greywood's plot, we have a scene that has like organ and, and like uh, violins and a bunch of other instruments. I don't, I can't wrap my head around all of that. Um, but it's 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 been an adventure, and without Daniel, it's been tough. But now that I'm sending it to him, I'm I sent him actually two scenes today that I'm waiting for his response. Going like, oh, I can't wait to hear it. It just makes me more excited. It made me finish two more scenes today, just based on knowing that he's going to be seeing them. Yes, absolutely. No shade to John Carpenter. We we love John Carpenter, but but that theme to Halloween is basically like just two, maybe three notes, you know, and. It, it works. Yeah. It, as soon as you hear it, that foreboding and that creepy feeling, at least for me. Oh it, yeah. What, I mean, Jaws is just do, 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 do. Like it's one of the creepiest scores of all time, but it's two notes. Um, of course then it's, but then they also do the layering of everything and they find a way to really make it pop. I think like early John Carpenter is sort of where my mind has been going. And then I've also been like trying to use, um, sort of theories from what that I obviously I don't have the tone or the concept, but trying to use sort of what Trent Reznor has been doing with his scores and build that like ominous sound and then hit with some high notes and mm -hmm. sort of stealing that Trent Reznor sound has kind of helped me find my own thing. Um, and I've also found, yeah, just little things that I've been, and, and I'm a musician. Like I played in grindcore and punk bands my whole life. So at least I understand I played piano you know, my entire childhood. So I understand the concept of it. The hard part is like finding a visual emotion in sound, if that makes any sense, like, cause you have to tie it together and it, it's really challenging. Now, see, I'm like, Oh, we almost had a bark. I am. I'm kind of like the opposite. Like I can hear a song and visualize a scene. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I, um, long time ago, Go, I, I have so many things I want to talk about to you, but going back to what you said about um, editing, I wrote a script five days, maybe five days, right? Boom, bam, probably another, like you said, six to nine months, maybe like six months. But that was just editing, tweaking it, you know, having people read it and then editing some more and then going, no, that's stupid. I'm not going to change it to that. So editing is the devil. We're going to say that right now. Um, but the music thing, what you were saying, um, uh, close encounters are the third kind, just those simple notes. Yeah. And I'm the type of person, oh, the music and horror films. There was something I watched on TV. It was called um, Monsterland. It was on Hulu. And it's a little episodic series. And there was this New Orleans um, themed one, or it was, took place in New Orleans. 
And it had like just soft kind of ominous music. But then there was this guy with a trumpet. And the way that came in, I had to turn the volume down like really low because it was disturbing me. And I'm yeah. sure that meant the intent was like, this is really scary. This is really disturbing. Just like screechy trumpet blasts. So music has always been something that has to go hand in hand. It has to go hand in hand. And the fact that you're like doing every little tiny bit of this, that's incredible. Yeah. I like the fact that you bring up like the trumpet or like weird, like weird elements you can find, because that's actually the thing that I've found that has helped me with the score so far in this is if I find my, um, and actually it's something I used in Greywood's plot as well, even, you know, building on top of what Curtis was sending me or just to try to transition us from one scene to the next or whatever, I would find sound design elements that played on beat and played into the cue. So they actually became like, I would use heartbeat in, um, in Greywood's plot. So like, as the dog man is dying on the table, there's a heartbeat that's rhythmically playing with the music. And as the music starts to fade, the heartbeat starts to like, like slow down to slow us into the next scene. Um, And using those sort of, rhythmic tones or um what was the uh, there was there's there's been so many of them i've used in the past but even on this movie um today i was working on a scene and it, this first scene opens with him being uh he's hungry because he's in a bunker with very little food and basically starving himself so he doesn't run out of food and he he's staring at like a little can of um oh my god what are they called sardines like a little sardines can and he's he's like looking over at like nope can't eat it yet it's not time to eat like when it's time to eat but his stomach is growling and he keeps looking over at the clock and as he looks over at the clock i like emphasize the ticks every time and played it to the rhythm of the music so the or like the way the music is playing so that those ticks while they are part of the story they're also you know part of the creepy rhythm of it and add to the suspense of what's happening Right. And it's emphasizing his like desire to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to eat it, to do what he's not supposed to, even though, you know, but it's like, you're onto something with the clock there. Like when you're waiting for something, whether it's the end of your work shift, you know, it, it for your movie to start, whatever it is, time is so heavy and loud. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me, but it's something it's like, oh, you're looking at the clock and you can just like feel the vibrations of the second hand. And uh, I, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. And you're right about Greywood's plot. That heartbeat part, really, it's like, oh, shit. It's like, this is going down. This is heavy. This is weird. But this is great as well. Yeah. And there's so there, and there's the heartbeat happening while I'm also ramp. Well, in the edit, we're ramping up that, that like ee- sound of the heart monitor. So there's like two things like the heartbeat is flowing with the heart monitor. And then it gets loud. That monitor gets louder and louder until it, you know, kind of like cuts to the next scene. Um, I thought that was, it was fun to play with the heartbeat and that playing against each other while there is still score happening at the same time and trying to make it all rhythmically play together. I think it's kind of, I don't like, I'm not like a huge fan of jump scares, although there are some jump scares that I, I really love, but generally I think jump scares kind of can like taint the the overall vibe of a movie and i didn't want uh graywood's plot to be a jump scare movie so those were the moments that i was kind of like trying to unnerve people with and find how can i make something unnerving with sound design 
and you know visually what they're seeing without just being like bah gotcha exactly i was gonna say when you were talking about the the heartbeat monitor isn't it kind of cool like that and like when you're watching something it's so faint to begin with that all of a sudden you notice it and you're like whoa shit what oh my god what was that but you're right about the jump scares i freaking hate jump scares and here's the thing about jump scares i can be enjoying the hell out of a movie thinking this is a great film you give me one jump scare i hate you yeah i don't i don't care how good you were the previous 30 minutes but music is something that does that as well it's like you know and then die like you know just heavy it'll it makes you come up out of your skin anyways nothing could have happened <laughs> it's just the music you know or the door opens and you're like ah there's a handful of jump scares that i really love it really depends on how they're done and they need to be done like very right for them to work for me but the one that instantly comes to my head and it gets me every time i watch the movie <laughs> is um when Richard Dreyfus is diving in Jaws and he sees the the dead body, but it it's not the the score doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks. It's his reaction shot that gets you he, where he's just like, oh, man. And uh, every time I jump every single time and I've, I've seen the movie probably a hundred times and it still makes me jump. And it's just the way the rhythm of it plays out is like offbeat. It, I'm always like, here's where it comes now. And then it doesn't. And I'm like, oh, wait, it wasn't there. Oh, and then it gets me every time. <laughs> I think I hate that worse than the jump scares is when you think it's a jump scare and then you don't and you relax and then you have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The best example of that was not a movie. It was uh, a video game I was playing a long time ago, but uh, it's called Dead Space. And there's mm -hmm. a scene in the game where you're like walking. It's, you know, in space, you're on the spaceship and there's monsters popping out of the walls and stuff. And there, you get to a point where you've been fighting a bunch of them and you get to this long hallway and there's all of these like, um, well, I don't know what you call them, but like cryogenic tubes where people would be or whatever. And then at the end of the hall, there's a broken window and a door. And I in the game, you could you know run. You ran most of the time. If you held the joystick down, you just run. And I caught myself like walking slow like not holding the joystick <laughs> like walking slowly down the hall and i'm like okay i'm gonna get to the end of this hall and something is gonna jump out of that hole and it's gonna scare me just prepare yourself you're gonna get there you're gonna jump whatever so i'm walking down the hallway walking down the hallway paying attention to everything and i get to the end of the hallway and nothing comes out and then i turn and the door opens and there's nothing there and i think about it and i'm like I literally spent a minute and a half of this game walking down the hallway because I'm so scared that there's going to be a jump scare. I'm like, that is the right way to not jump scare and get someone. Mm -hmm. That's creepy. I, we used to, oh my God, let's not get up on, on games, but I want to say it was, uh, I swear it was Resident Evil or something. It was a video game on PlayStation and there were dinosaurs or monsters or something. I don't remember what it was, but they would like break through the windows at you. Talk about heart attacks. Yeah, they did that in the first Resident Evil. There was a dog that jumps through the window like right away at the beginning that scared it. It was like notoriously terrifying because you just don't <laughs> see it coming. And you also the game had like the set camera. So you're trying to figure out how to run. And yeah, it's uh, the, the game. It's it. The games can really get you if they do it properly. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with Mario now. <laughs> <laughs> I got that weak heart. Well, speaking of the good exorcist and the good Dr. Daniel Degnan, 
you made this not only with trauma or you, you know, you worked with trauma on it, but also Robert Rodriguez. Hello. Yeah. So we, we made it with Robert and we did it for the show rebel without a crew. And then, um, when I got the rights back to it, I was trying to figure out where I wanted, how I wanted to sell it and how I wanted to put it out. So I, I had worked on a couple of trauma films right around the time that I got the right rights back. And Lloyd and I had been talking quite a bit and, um, you know, just, we, he was, he came on a podcast I did and we talked on, uh, uh, over Twitter and we're just, you know, at talking about trauma movies and talking about what I was going to do next and whatever. And, uh, so then I got the rights back and I messaged him. I was like, Hey, would you guys be interested? And he said, yeah, I'm going to have my, my, assistant reach out and I, I knew his assistant at that time and we were friends um and so we talked and basically decided like I, I told them i'll give you guys the rights to put out the blu-ray if i don't have to pay anything and we do the bonus features we make it look good we put out a quality product and they and troma loves to do bonus features and their blu-rays are pretty high quality usually so i so we went with it and, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm really happy with the way it all turned out. And it's been fun working with Lloyd on on stuff like that. Right. For people that don't know, trauma, to me at least, trauma is kind of, well, not kind of, it's stupid, over-the-top, campy, uh, I guess we could say exploitation type. Yeah. Lots of titties. <laughs> We're not going to lie. Titties. Um, just weird slash stupid slash gross i mean it's just all encompassing and it's all fantastic so for people that don't know a lot about trauma what's your personal feeling yeah it's i mean it's 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 straight up exploitation like you hit the nail on the head it's exploitation but not in the way that we sometimes think of exploitation as being um vault like i don't know what the term is it's fun exploitation it's like if you know there was black exploitation there was you know, there's been all these different exploitation genres. I would almost consider trauma to be like fun exploitation. Like it's yeah. just silly and over the top. And trauma puts out some movies that are just straight up exploitation, not fun and like pretty nasty. Um, some of my, you know, there's some really great ones like Mother's Day is I, I wouldn't say that that's very fun. I, it, it's got its little moments, but it's kind of just a like a nasty, filthy exploitation movie. Um but, you know, to me, what Lloyd's movies specifically are is vulgar uh, looks at what's happening in culture and sort of breaking them down. I mean, you know, the South Park guys started with trauma. Some of their earliest stuff was with trauma. In fact, South Park was supposed to be uh, made by trauma. And then it just it didn't it wasn't it, they couldn't afford it. And, and uh, Comedy Central stuff happened and whatever. Um, but uh, for me, like I I. I saw toxic avenger when i was way 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 too young i saw it because the uh toxic crusader cartoon had come out when i was a kid and i was a big fan of those minor exploit and i wouldn't call them exploitation but the way the the like um gateway horror movies of the late 80s mid 80s you know late 80s like gremlins and critters and stuff like that uh those were those were the movies i was watching when i was five six years old and so uh, as I got to like eight or nine, um, the the place, the video rental store I went to, uh, the dude who ran it, who in my head is like this really cool older guy who was like recommending stuff to me. And retrospectively, he was probably like 15 and the, the owners like, you know, 
pimple faced no. kid who was just like, oh, man, I'm going to sneak this little eight year old a really trashy movie. But uh, he would recommend stuff like he recommended Tremors to me, which is still one of my favorite movies and like that kind of stuff. And eventually it got to Toxic Avenger and he recommended Toxic Avenger to me. And I my parents let me rent it, not thinking about what it was, having no idea and knowing that I had like Toxic Crusader toys. Actually, I didn't have Toxic Crusader toys, but the neighbor boy did. And my parents knew about Toxic Crusader. Um, and so they let me rent it and I watched it just like what is I mean, that's got to be some of the first hits I ever saw. Definitely some of the first cussing and straight up gore I'd see and guys getting their arms ripped off like it's ridiculous and amazing. And I uh, I've sort of fell in love with that ever since. But I was I mean, I was raised on the, that kind of degenerate nastiness after that and obsessed with it. And that's why the good exorcist is the way it is. It's, it's like a PG 13 take on trauma because I wanted to, I wanted that in between of, well, it's not tremors, but it's not toxic Avenger. What would a, what should a 10 year old or 11 year old be watching as their gateway, no budget schlock movie to ease them into something like toxic Avenger. Cause it just doesn't, it, I, there's not many movies like that out there. Um, so that's sort of what I did with that movie. And, Luckily, I sent it to, to to Lloyd and was like, would you guys be interested in this kind of fearing that he'd be like, no, this is PG-13. Like, this is the this is the mildest trauma movie ever. And it, the opposite happened. They were like, oh, yes, this is the mildest trauma movie ever. This is perfect. Like, this is a great one for our shelves because, um, you know, not everyone wants to go by. um I'm trying to think of uh, uh, poultry geist like no people that don't want to don't want the nasty of nasty of the nastiness off the get go. So the good exorcist is sort of a good gateway one and they've been selling very well um, on Troma from what I've heard. So I'm pretty excited. Well, you know what? I say this all the time and I've said it more often lately. Uh, there's a there's a lack. There's a not even a lack. It's a gap. in what you're talking about in that age range. Boys, girls, in between, however you identify in that age range, there's not a lot. You brought up some good ones. Gremlins, Critters, Tremors. I'd say Goonies even. Ghostbusters, yeah. original ones. The Burbs. The Burbs is like, to me, like the perfect gateway horror movie. If I'm, my son is like at the point, my, my son loves Tom Hanks. We, oh. it's been a weird thing where it's like, at the, he's, it's the first actor that he's like obsessed with is Tom Hanks. And the Burbs is my favorite Tom Hanks movie. And I was just like, is it too scary? My son's a wimp, like an absolute wimp. Like he's nine. And he, it at nine, I was watching I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street was a regular watch for me at that age. Um, he can't like PG 13 movies. He's like, I don't know, dad, the mummy. Oh, I'm like, it's Brendan Fraser, man. It's not, <laughs> but he like, <laughs> he gets scared of like everything. So, uh, but the burbs is, you know, a, a good gateway one um, as well. And in the eighties, I think the burbs was 89 or 90, something like that. And I, I was just raised during that perfect time where that's, that's how, that's when, just that's me spilling my age. I was 85 to 90. That was my fine watching movies for the first time and learning what they are. And that was the movies that were coming out for that weren't Disney movies. It was cartoons for kids or gremlins, the burbs, that kind of stuff. Um, and so 
Yeah, I, I, there and and then it just kind of went away. Every once in a while, there's one. Eli Roth actually made one that is so underrated that no one saw, and my kids absolutely loved it. And I thought it was so perfect gateway horror, which is like it's called the house with the clock in its walls, and it's got like Jack Black, and it's it's so good, and no one talks about it. And I'm not even like a huge Eli Roth fan. Like I'm not the one. I'm not the guy going like Eli Roth torture porn. I love some of that stuff, but I it, it's definitely not my go to favorites. But I was so impressed with the house with the clock in its walls, and no one. It just kind of got lost in the mix. Yeah, well, and and you're also in a tough place because kids of that in that age range they don't always want cartoon, you know? Right. Not that live action. You know, and, and we were kind of lucky growing up. I'm, I'll tell you this. I saw Poltergeist way too young. <laughs> right. And and things like when we were growing up, we're in the same, we're in the same lane, sir. And when we were growing up, like, it was a good time in films. I mean, it really was. It was like, I don't feel like they were targeting demographics as much as, as they, a lot of films were for the whole family, even if they were scary. Yeah, there there was definitely more mixing and matching, which is something I've definitely also wanted to do. Like, it's hard for me to just go like, I'm going to make a horror movie or I'm going to make a comedy or I'm going to make a, you know, this is going to be an action movie. I've like, both of my movies are full of all of that kind of stuff. One scene can be one thing and the next can be another. Um, Or finding, uh, you know, for my movies, it's basically just white dudes because that's all I have access to. (laughs) But uh, back in the day when they didn't, they there was a lot of like Poltergeist is a great is a perfect example of that's the whole family. Every character in that movie is relatable to someone in the family. Like, And I uh, except for that movie, I love it to death. It's one of my favorite movies. Every time I watch it, I'm always like. What parent leaves their kid and goes takes a bath in that day? I there's no way in hell I would ever be doing that without my spouse around in that moment. But I digress. Um, <laughs> I just every time I watch it, I I lose my relatability. I want to watch it. I my wife would never watch Poltergeist with me, but I want to try to convince her to watch it with me just so I can see what she says about that scene. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I I agree that I think that there is this like it's it, like you you said it it's demographics they're going okay we got to hit the demo we uh, while also missing all demos everything <laughs> has to be for everyone now without any relatability to anything so you kind of just get like stuff it's just like things happening which is why I like the house with the clock in its walls it like was very much about the kid. And then there were these relatable other characters who were very different than you. You could hate Jack Black's character or you could love that character. You could hate like everyone just worked really well in that way. Um, And so, and I think that's, that was one of the things if you watch gremlins, you can love and hate every character in that movie. Like every single person is both fun and also horrible. Like, uh, yeah, it's just, I can't imagine them putting out a movie now that has the Santa Claus story that she tells about her dad. It's like, that was in a movie that was like marketed to families at Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot we can't get away with nowadays. Either fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not going to say which way. But uh, the thing about 
poltergeist, I want you to know it was many, 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 many years of me running and jumping to get into my bed. So nothing grabbed me specifically, no clown doll underneath my bed, you know, grabbed me. Oh yeah. So these films that we watched way too young, they traumatized us just a tiny bit and tremors, the same, same concept. It was like, you're always like kind of watching where you walk. It's like that piece of that little spot of sand looks a little suspect. <laughs> yeah, there are some shots. I just watched Tremors again because I was I was thinking like I should watch it with my kids. And then I put it on to just just test the water and see. And I watched it and like there are two to three scenes in that movie that most of it's pretty fun and, you know, more action and just kind of whatever. But then there are like two to two or three scenes that I'm like, wow, this isn't a PG-13 movie. I cannot believe that. And I think at the time, wasn't Poltergeist PG when it first came out? And then they actually made the PG-13 rating around that time to, to switch the rating. Pretty sure Poltergeist was one of the first that they did that for. Um which I'm just, that's mind-blowing. Can you imagine it being, a poltergeist being PG? It's just wild. No, not nowadays. People are too sensitive. <laughs> yeah, but poltergeist is a good example of that sort of funny mixed with, you know, family mixed with, there's like, it kind of goes everywhere, which is what uh, what I think the trauma movies do well. And what makes me, kind of pulls me to them where they lean more into the funny, more into the stupid and schlocky and and the thing I really love about them is that they lean into their budget. They go, we've got a buck Oh five and a ton of blood. Let's use it. And, you know, and, and show it all. Like they show everything and every single one of those, not everyone, but on a lot of those Blu-rays, there's a behind the scenes where they were filming the whole time. And Lloyd shows how they did it all and how stupid it is and why it's so good. And those were the documentaries that uh, I found that made me go, I, you know, like in my mid twenties, I stumbled onto them and was like, okay, I can do this. I can, if, if Lloyd can do it like that, I can do it. And I took a lot of that stuff and, and used it on the good exorcist. That's amazing. Oh, I mean, Lloyd Kaufman, first of all, he's hilarious. He seems like he's one of the kindest men ever. I mean, just last, just last night on Twitter, he tweeted that Toxie loves me because I, I posted that I was going to be watching the toxic Avenger. Which, by the way, speaking of um, a buck oh five and gallons of blood, I need to get the Blu-ray because that scene with the bullies or the assholes in the car and they and they, yeah. they I'm like, that looks really, really real. Not necessarily the running over part. That's kind of you can see the, the special effects. But when the car hits and someone goes tumbling over, I'm like, this is what, you know, Newcomb High, Tromeo and Juliet, um, Toxic Avenger, these people we're doing their own shit, right? <laughs> they were throwing themselves over the roof of a car. They were, you know, they were doing this. They're, they're, they're running. And that's like, it's not homemade. I don't want to say homemade, like it's cheap or cheesy. I mean, it is cheesy. Let's be for real. And because, it is cheap. Yeah. It's, it's, but it, yeah, but, but it's that thin line. It's a thin line between cheap and cheesy and utterly fun and cheap and cheesy and bad. And I think Lloyd found a way to, with the toxic Avenger to really, um, cause he was doing, he did a couple comedies before that. Um, squeeze play was one of them. And there was a couple of like, it was in that, at that age of, you know, um, I don't know what you call them. Uh, sexy comedies or that. I wouldn't even call them that they weren't sexy. They were more just like exploiting boobs and stuff in your movies. The porkies era. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Porky's traumatized me. I, that's another one I saw too early. Uh, what's the name of the, the one where it's the husband and wife and they're getting divorced and the judge like talks them through like history of sex and love. what the fuck is that called? What is it? Huh. Oh my God. And the judge is played by that old timey comedian. It's not Adam and Eve. My brain's trying to say Adam and Eve, but like that, I mean, the caveman, if you've seen it, there's a caveman like segment. And I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen, but I'm laughing. So who's the loser? <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, that's, that's what I like about the toxic Avenger. And I mean, all of them, but especially the toxic Avenger is he, it really tried, uh, it was really original, like and and way ahead of its time. And as much as superhero stuff wasn't that popular at the time, it wasn't like mainstream. So he was kind of making fun of something that he knew was, you know, it was interesting to a certain group of people. But how to take that superhero element and then also move it into sort of making funny fun of a social political thing happening and also just make it stupid and zany and keep it a comedy. Um, I think he did. He really knocked it out of the park with that and has done it multiple times since, um, you know, with, with all of his wild movies. Well, and not, and not just that, but a lot of, like you mentioned, a lot of filmmakers have come out of the, 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 a school of filmmaking, right? Yeah, James Gunn is one. Uh, some of his early work, you kind of tilt your head and go, huh? but I get it. And the thing we keep talking about Toxie, but let, listen, Toxie loves me. So we're going to talk about it. But for instance, it's also kind of not in your face, but it's kind of this, I mean, like this moral, this, this tale, because the bullies are the, you know, the jerks in the car. What are they doing? They're drinking and driving. Uh, they're, having premarital sex it's kind of, not that it's preaching but it's like look these people are bad and they're picking on this person who's not really doing nothing he's just trying to be you know live his life no matter how dumb you know he is about it but also the thing about the toxic avenger like i said they're doing their own stuff he falls into that bat like that dude that actor yeah he's submerged in something. I don't know what it was. I was having a panic attack watching him because I'm like, get up, get out. You can't breathe. And you're right about the superhero thing because we expect them to be gorgeous and, you know, a curl, right. And we expect them to be fit. And this poor kid is getting picked on for being unfortunately unattractive for being, you know, a 98 pound wimpy kid. Right. And the fact that the bullying prompts this this accident that turns him into a hero usually the the fat that turns you into a villain right yeah which also at the same time the hero becomes like a hideous monster which was exactly the opposite of what was happening in superhero content at that time like at that time it was which was it's really no different than now it but it was we've just seen we've seen heroes done in a lot of ways since then but you know this is this is one of the first times where we see like this odd monster of a man become a hero and played very much against right. what what we would expect out of anything. While also, you know, being so over the top that you they can get away with so much. Even now, a lot of that there's a lot of it in it where you're like, OK, you could never do that joke. You could never do this. But yeah. there's a lot of it in there that which is why they're they're doing the the reimagining of the Toxic Avenger. And 
Lloyd said the script is like the best he's ever read. Wow. And, and, and I, I, from what I've seen, the way they're doing it is, is making the same sort of statement now, but doing it in a modern way. And um, apparently it's going to be hideous and gory and wa- a wild ride. So I'm excited to see it. Um, but the, the, uh, the movie itself, like, and, and all of the stuff that Lloyd does, I worked on his last movie, Shakespeare's Shitstorm. About that one. Yeah, I did some animation for it. I actually, I don't know if I've actually watched the whole thing from beginning to end still, because I was hoping to see it in the theater and then I never got to go to it. And I'm still hoping that they do it. They tour it here to Atlanta. Um, But it's, it's so beyond ridiculous. It is just a South Park episode, like live action and absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, I, I did animation of a whale falling on a crowd of people. Um, in like an explosion of blood. And then I did like this whole animated sequence that's like a crack den of people who I, I I can't, I don't want to spoil it. I can't even say what the cartoon is in it. And it's just, it's crazy. Um, And and I got a, it got reviewed in Time Magazine or something like that. Like one of the big, one of the big magazines did a review of it. And in the review, it literally said, uh, something about Josh Stifter's animation raises the raises the bar in this or something like that. And I was, I can't remember exactly what it says, but everyone was joking with me about it that I was like, there's literally a moment of that animation where there's a man pooping in a bucket. And somehow I raised the bar with my animation, but uh, it, you know, again, he's still doing the same stuff. And I, that's, that's what I, I look at Lloyd and I look at trauma and the fact that they, haven't changed you know obviously they've changed they're working in new ground they change with the times they're he's telling a statement about pharmaceutical companies and about um social justice and about all this other stuff and like the sort of the melding of too many things happening at the same time being too connected is sort of the general idea i think of what shakespeare shitstorm is and the fact that he's still doing that and he's still making these statements in extremely stupid movies that have animations of guys pooping in buckets i like to me that's that's inspiring in its own <laughs> way it makes me go i can still be i can still be do- doing my own stories and telling my own tales you know 30 40 years from now yeah Absolutely. Uh, You'll have to forgive me. I didn't realize I was speaking to a Time Magazine Man of the Year. I I, apparently. Yeah, it was it was one of the bigger one of the bigger review reviews. I can't remember. I don't know if it was Time or Newsweek or something like that. And but it was like I I will admit I have myself in my, you know, like Google whatever. And so I pop up on my um, I if, if I pop up somewhere, I see it in my email. And if it's like in a bigger publication. And yeah. so that one popped up like all day. I was just getting that reposted by other people. That review kept being reposted on things. And I was like, oh, this is interesting that my name popped up in this publication for one of the of all of the things that I've done for <laughs> yeah. that animation in Shakespeare Shitstorm. But I was pretty <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> well, there you go. You're going to make it, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's so funny you said Shakespeare Shitstorm because I spoke with Todd Sheets like weeks ago and we were talking trauma. He, he knows uh, Uncle Lloyd as well. And he's like, 
he's like, ask him about Shakespeare Shitstorm. And I was like, first of all, you think I'm going to be able to get Lloyd on my show? Thank oh, you. Oh, you could. Oh, well, yeah, I think you could. Ta yeah, send him a message. Lloyd is really open to chatting with people. He's been great. Well, I, I mean, how am I going to top you, though? Right? <laughs> <laughs> to ask him about me. He'll say the same thing he says every time. He always tells people, he's, he's always like, oh, Josh Stifler. He always gets my name wrong, but he's always like, <laughs> Josh Stifner. Uh, he <laughs> is one of the, the brightest we've had come through here. He's going to be the next James Gunn. He says that every time, and I'm always like, oh, Lloyd, stop <laughs> saying that. <laughs> no, I love it. It makes me feel good, but it it's just, it's hilarious. That's awesome. But yeah, Todd was like asking about Shakespeare Shitstorm, and I'm like, so immediately upon ending that interview, I'm like on every streaming service trying to find it because it's sad. I'm going to love it. I don't think it's out there yet. Cause I think they did. Um, they kind of did that like college tour type thing, like a back in the day sort of mentality where they hit up the smaller theaters. They hit up like, you know, Lloyd would go to an event and they'd screen it at that event. So like at dragon con or whatever, I don't know if they did dragon con, but just, you know, the conventions and they would do screenings at those. Um, so it, it was more of a, it's so far over the past like year and a half, They've really been trying to make sure that people are seeing it together because it's the kind of movie that you should be seeing with people because it is so zany. It's just zany. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to be around trauma fans when you see it. Do you think it's more, I don't even know if this is the right word, like an art house theater type of thing? Yeah, like I think it's, I think it's that sort of art house or, um, if if it was Lloyd, he'd probably say fart house or make a bad joke like that. But it's uh, <laughs> but it's very much that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just punk rock. It's that sort of thing that you don't if you see it with the wrong people, it's not right. If you see it with the right people, it's the greatest ad adventure you see that year. We used to have an, an awesome uh, small theater movie theater and you could eat and drink there. Yeah, I it closed and became a comic book shop but that would to me that would be like the best venue where you you're eating like i don't know chick you know what do you call them oh my god oh, oh my god what are they called buffalo wings oh yeah there you go buffalo wings come back come <laughs> back yeah. but like buff you know buffalo wings or pizza or if you're you know if you're vegetarian broccoli and having a drink it's definitely i mean I don't know if I could eat while I watched that one, but I could definitely drink. And there's a, there's a, it's just disgusting and, and wild. Like, like every trauma movie is, um, I say that, but I've, then my wife has been like, uh, I'll, I'll go to watch some movie that's absolutely disgusting and awful. And I'm like making popcorn. And my wife's like, you're going to eat popcorn while you watch the house that Jack built. And I'm like, yeah, why not? I can eat that popcorn. While I watch <laughs> um, but yeah, she, but uh, yeah, it's that, it's that kind of movie. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't seen the movie all the way through. I watched part of it at a film festival online, like during the pandemic. And that's the other thing it got, that movie got just crushed by the pandemic. I'm the positive of it was that people had time to work on visual effects and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, cause I did. I probably did 30 visual effects in that movie. A lot of it was like wow. removing fishing line from tentacles and whatever else. Um, but uh, I started watching it while it was screening at a festival online during the pandemic. It was one of the first screenings that it did. And I was just like, 
I want to see this with people. I want to see it on the big screen with a group of trauma fans. And then it just, I, I never had a chance. And then, you know, the pandemic ends. And of course we move, everything goes crazy. Like people don't want to go to the theaters. They want to go do stuff if they're out. And yeah, it's just been, it's been crazy, but I'm, I'm still fingers crossed that Lloyd brings it to Atlanta and I get to check it out with a trauma audience. That would be amazing. I would come to Atlanta for that. I want people to hear that you have you have basically told us that there are tentacles in the movie. You have confirmed. Oh, yeah. oh there that- are oh there are tentacles, there are whales, there is animation, there is um a lot of poop. There's a lot of poop. There <laughs> is storm. Hello. Yeah, right, exactly. There is a literal shitstorm. Like a literal shitstorm. There is uh th- there's a giant orgy. There's a, a I'm pretty sure that there is Lloyd in a giant suit made of, of body parts of oh. there's there's songs. It's a musical as well. It's it's a trip. Lloyd went all out. I mean, he he assumed potentially it's his last movie. And oh. um, he well, in as much as like, I think he assumed it was his last movie and no one's because no one's going to fund anything after he made it because <laughs> it's oh. so crazy. <laughs> No, I think he was, I think he's like at the point where he's trying to produce more get more other stuff out there and make sure that trauma, you know, sticks around for another hundred years. How about it's 50, another 55 years. trauma has been around for 55 years. I think something like that. Um, yeah, it's crazy that, you know, they never so far, they have not got canceled, which is kudos to them. They've played their game right this whole time because they teetered the line of being too offensive constantly. And they, but they always find a way to, make enough of a statement and be sincere enough, but also stupid enough to, you know, not be that, not be, not be shitty, I guess. Um, but yeah, they, uh, it Shakespeare shitstorm is, is out there and hopefully we can continue. I mean, my hope is I, I truly hope in the next couple of years that I get to make another trauma movie. I've sort of been like trying to do this, this other stuff. That's a little bit more, um, normal <laughs> or, or just pushing my career in a way that I don't even I don't even know exactly how to put this it's just not quite trauma movies they're more they're more personal movies and so that's been a little bit tough to like just go like I'm gonna do this schlocky statement piece thing um you just need a specific tone to do a trauma movie and I haven't I just haven't written it yet but every year I'm like this is the year I'm going to do it this is the year Daniel and I are going to take a camera we're going to go find 30 people who want to be a part of something absolutely ridiculous and we're just going to go all, all in and who knows maybe next year will be the year maybe we'll just finally do it and make something absolutely nasty there you go well you know orgies buckets no but you're right I mean as much as we love trauma and the type of uh, films that come out of the trauma verse you don't want to be pigeonholed, right? You don't want to be, Oh, that's the weird guy. That's the the poop guy. That's, you know, you, and I think that's the, that's smart of you to just keep it like, no, look, this is tender, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or I mean, honestly, like my biggest issue or the thing that I've tried to, it's not an issue. The thing that I've like really tried to make sure I do in these first three movies is make sure that I'm very, very true to myself. Like that. I don't, I with the good exorcist that was really tough because everyone was like lean into it being evil dead evil dead evil dead evil dead like that's your thing and every time they talk about it they'd be like Josh is making a movie that's sort of like an evil dead meets whatever and 
but it's not really. Yes, there is like a killer teddy bear and a killer telephone and Daniel rolls around on the floor, but there's a it's a different vibe than that. It's a very different feeling. Um, and so that's sort of yeah, that's sort of been my thing is to just constantly be true to myself and never like never go for the thing that I think people are going to expect instead do the thing that no one expects or like, I don't even expect that I'm going to do. Um, and sometimes that's like in the midst of a movie, having a tender moment between two people, a tender conversation when the movie should be going into the horror, don't go to the horror, go to something else. Or when the movie, when people are finally settled into this, to a movie being like, a kind of weird schlocky comedy about two friends in the woods be like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Now I'm going to make it about something completely different. And so I've always kind of just tried to be true to myself in that way. Right. And speaking of gray woods plot, you've got two friends in the woods and all of a sudden there's animation. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, that's been one of my go-to Shakespeare shitstorm was really um, influential in me putting that in there. I've done animation for a few other movies and sometimes it's, it's been cut. um, Mm -hmm. And I, people tend to find animation in the midst of a movie to be kind of risky and because it is, it's weird. It pulls the audience out of the movie and it reminds them that they are watching a movie, not watching something real. Um, but I didn't care. I wanted to do it anyway. Uh, and I thought, and when I've seen it in movies, like in, um, in Shakespeare, in Shakespeare's Shitstorm, uh, in Krampus. Have you ever seen the movie Krampus? I love Krampus. And there's the, the grandma tells the story and it cuts to like animation, these like silhouette animations. And I thought that was so cool. And so I want to do the same thing. But I've generally, when they do it, it's because someone's telling a tender story or like a heartfelt story. And so we need it to understand the emotion. And I was like, let's do the opposite. What if it's not that? What if it's a stupid story that is completely (laughs) ridiculous and we can make animation that's absolutely like almost trauma-esque? Like that's the one moment where I almost lean into trauma in in Greywood's plot. And uh, I remember watching, I was watching Greywood's plot at a screening that we did digitally during the pandemic. And I was watching it on my breezeway. I'd set up a TV and, you know, was sitting back and watching it while other people were watching it, you know, at their homes. And my son came out and he was probably seven at the time. And it was at the animation scene. And his uncle Keith is telling a story about something. And and Max is watching this animation and he's like, what is happening? And then all of a sudden it takes the hard turn. And it was like I had, I mean, I, I killed the dog. Like, that's why I put that scene in the movie is so I can kill the dog and which you're not supposed to do in a movie, but I do it in animation form. So I get away with it or maybe I don't depends on who you ask. But, uh, um, Max is watching it and just broke down in tears. Like dad, why, why would you make that? And I'm like, I'll, when you're older, we'll watch it again. You'll get it. (laughs) But I remember thinking like, wow, I did exactly what I wanted to do because that's the emotion. I'm hoping the adults feel too. Yes. They're not going to cry. They're not going to break down like a child, like, like a child did, but I'm hoping that deep down part of them was just like, Oh no. Like, Oh Josh, why? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want because I have to ease the audience into the fact that this is a what the fuck dude movie. And that's the moment where I really found I could, you know, hit the hit hit them on the head with it and be very not cheeky. Just be like, hey, guys, this is a what the fuck are you doing, man movie. Yeah. And public service announcement. We do not endorse or uh, encourage the abuse of animals because we love animals. Absolutely. Um, 
I am a the I'm that's the 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 irony of it is I am like a huge dog fan and all of my and my mom my mom is the biggest dog person on the planet just absolutely obsessed with her dogs loves her dogs she has never not had a dog in my entire life like every, I've never seen her without a dog that's like a second she calls them my brothers or sisters yeah. and <laughs> and so we are we are very much dog people um I mean, the second my wife and I bought our house and moved out of apartments where we couldn't have dogs, like within two weeks, I had a dog and I still do. She's 14 years old and you know, she's she's a third child that, you know, is at the age now where I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And um, coincidentally, I have actually I made an animation where the dog where a dog dies like a short film and i've done it in this but i also made the movie where i get turned into an animal like i am an animal lover and that's sort of the i the the most horrific thing to me in a movie is killing the dog and so that's why i put that in there as like but it's in animation in a story that probably didn't happen i mean if keith is not a reliable or miles is not a reliable um uh a storyteller so well yeah and he embellishes a lot yes oh <laughs> yeah but you know what speaking of your mom and your your siblings my mother does the same thing she's like you didn't say hello to your sister and i'm like oh. <sighs> hello <laughs> drives yeah. me nuts drives me nuts my mom used to she stopped doing this but when i was younger when she would call me on the phone she'd be like your brother wants to say hi to you say hi say hi on the phone and i would just be like dear god mom I have to go. But that was at a time where I was younger and didn't have other things to be doing. I think she's since learned, like, I don't have time for her shenanigans of talking to the dogs. <laughs> All right. But just for a minute. Hey, Chuckles, how you doing, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mothers. What are we going to do with them? Speaking of the good exorcist, where can I watch it? Where can people watch it? Yeah, The Good Exorcist was well, it's on it's available on Blu-ray through Troma, but if you want to stream it, it is available on Tubi. Uh it's available on Amazon for purchase. I don't think it's on Prime anymore. I think I took it down from P- Prime. Um but it's available like on a lot of iTunes, but I think the iTunes version is actually the original version, um which is really weird. Not the not the direct not the director's cut the uh, uh, weird studio not studio the weird um you have to get this done for a festival and now we have it and you can't do anything else to it because it has to screen at, at this festival and we are too lazy to get another version of it from you later so um, yeah there's a version of it out there on that that. Uh, Robert was putting on his I think it's still a version that plays on El Rey Network which is not really in existence it's sort of like a weird other thing but yeah. uh, but the uh, but yeah so the iTunes version is still that El Rey version and it's really weird because there's like scenes there's like shots that weren't supposed to be there that ended up there and audio things that are completely different and like it's just really it's really it's a weird version of the movie and the whole intro is in black and white, which wasn't supposed to be that way. But I had sent a version to them because I had been toying with the black and white or like it looks kind of like old VHS, I guess. Not black and white, but like old VHS. And I sent that version to them 
And then they, and then I sent them another version. And for some reason they ended up playing the older version that like never was meant to exist. It was just like a, they needed to check the file version. I don't know. Anyway, long story short, the iTunes version, I don't know which version it is, but Amazon, uh, Blu-ray, 2B TV for free. You could stream it. And that's, that version is the the final cut. Um, I think there's other ways to see it too, but uh, Greywood's plot is available on Tubi as well now through Terror Films. We just released it. It's available on Amazon, um, iTunes, or a- it's not called iTunes anymore. Apple TV. Yeah, Apple something. Whatever it's called. Um, Apple Movies. Maybe it's Apple Movies. I think they call it when you have to purchase it. Anyway. Um, yeah, so they're all, they're both out there. That's awesome. You know what? Tubi TV is kind of everything. I don't know how they make their money, but it's not off me. <laughs> yeah, well, they're advert. They a lot of their movies and and TV shows they put ads on it. But I have found that with mine, when I stream them, I don't get ads very often. It's very if if anything, it's like before it's before it streams or after it streams. They'll do like a bunch, um, which isn't any different than like. Um, does Peacock do that or parent hey, Peacock, I think does that as well. They do ads on their stuff. So it's the same, it's that same model. And, uh, so they make money off of, off of advertising. I'm looking up your, uh, I'm on trauma for people. It's traumadirect.com. Yeah. Traumadirect.com has the movie and it's, you know, uh, at it's near the top. If you go to Blu-rays, it's like one of their top ones. Um, but you can also get the Blu-ray off of Amazon or anywhere. In fact, I think it's cheaper on Amazon, but don't tell <laughs> Lloyd I said that. Well, um, Bezos has enough money. Let's uh, let's get it over to you guys. I am still looking. Oh, return to return to Newcomb High. Ah! Oh, sorry. Nice. I think I did. I did something on one of those movies, on one of the Newcomb High movies. I don't know if it was return to return to or oh, it is. two at the, at the same time. And I, I think I did a couple of simple animation or simple visual effects tweaks that's cool well for everybody listening it's traumadirect.com if you click on shop the good exorcist blu-ray is 19.99 that is not a bad price at all nope and it's i think it's i think it's even less on amazon if money is a thing but i would give your money directly to lloyd if you can and trauma uh so yeah and 20 bucks it's got two audio commentaries a ton of behind the scenes stuff and my favorite part when you put the blu-ray in it opens with an intro starring lloyd and myself um yeah it's really it's lloyd calls me on the phone we did it during the pandemic lloyd calls me on the phone and uh he wants to find out about the good exorcist blu-ray and talk to me about it and i'm in like a dingy basement in my underwear (laughs) getting ready to to mop the floor of the a parent porn shop that Daniel and I work at and Daniel shows up too. So it's a good time. That's amazing. And they do have Shakespeare shitstorm merch, just not, not uh, any, any info about it yet, but we'll keep it. We'll keep an eye out. You they know, also you- have trauma has their own streaming service. Um, what is it yeah. called? Uh, trauma, uh, TV, trauma. I think it's trauma TV or trauma. Something, something. like that. Yeah. And they, uh, Troma now, trauma now.tv, I think is what it is, or trauma.now. But yeah, trauma, trauma now has the good exorcist as well. Um, and it also has a ton of other movies. So if you want to stream it, and actually, I think they just launched their platform or their app so you can get 
Troma now on other, like on, you know, your Roku device or your whatever device. So I don't know if it's on everything, but I think it's on, but nothing, not there's my, I just realized that uh, Paramount plus or one of, one of the streaming services isn't on PlayStation. I have a PlayStation five in my bedroom and I, there's one of the streaming services I was going to watch something and I'm like, I can't watch it in bed tonight. I'm going to have to go out into the living room and, and watch it on my projector. But uh, in my in my condo, we have a giant drive-in theater screen in our living room wall, and I have a projector, and it's the coolest thing in the world. It was like the, how my wife sold me on moving to Atlanta. She was like, if you move, you can put a drive-in theater in the living room, and I'm like, done. So I watch all the trauma movies or kung fu movies or anything that feels like it should have been watched on a drive-in screen, I watch on the projecting projector. I have one as well. I've actually got my Roku connected to the projector. Yeah. And it is watch.troma.com for Troma Now. It's $4.99 a month. Your first month is free, but you can also watch the Troma channel on YouTube. Where can people follow you? Oh, I'm on all of the social medias at Josh Stifter on Twitter at Flush Studios. Flush Studios is my company um, on Instagram. There's also an at Flush Studios on Twitter, but I don't use it very much. I should use it more. Daniel and I, when we first did it, Daniel and I used it back and forth, and then we just both got on our own social, our own Twitters and stopped using it as much. Um, Facebook, I'm on there. I don't know what I am, but I'm on there. And uh, joshstifter.com is where you can find most of the stuff from me. In fact, if you are interested in blind, buying the Blu-ray for The Good Exorcist, and you also want to support... Uh, my filmmaking, I am doing a thing right now where I'm selling the Good Exorcist t-shirt, the first two issues uh, signed of the Father Gill comic, the Blu-ray and some patches, some other cool stuff in the Father Gill box set. Um, and you get all of that, the Blu-ray, t-shirt, comics, first runs, autograph stuff uh, for 50 bucks. And it comes in a really cool box that I made. I, I, spray painted them i made like a stencil and spray painted the boxes myself i was thinking maybe i had one right by me but i do not um but yeah so that's the first place you can get i i the first two issues of the father gill comic um it's the first hundred presses of them and it's the only hundred of that version we're going to do i'm going to make some changes to them and i'm cleaning them up and the next pressing will be different so if you want the original father gill comics signed by the creator uh, that's the way to get it. And, and that's, that's at joshstifter.com slash shop. Not stifler, not snifter. No, Stif that's that's in the in the Lloyd uh, intro for The Good Exorcist. He says my name wrong every time. I think he says Josh Stiffer every time. And I put a little asterisk at the bottom saying Josh Stifter or Stifter <laughs> at the bottom every time he <laughs> said it. <laughs> All right. Much for joining me and talking all things trauma and Uncle Lloyd Kaufman, who you can also follow on Twitter. He's very interactive, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot my shot. I'm gonna see if he wants to come talk to me. I'll put in a good word. I'll I will uh, I'll talk to him and I'll see what. Or, or I'll if you put it out there, just tweet at him. I will jump on board and say, Lloyd, you should you should get on that show. All right, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween! Oh yeah. <laughs> coming up very soon and you know what give daniel and his family my best okay sounds good josh thank you so much have a great night you too bye